Welcome to the Self Talk Radio Show. Mind Changing Radio. Welcome to Self Talk Radio Show. My name is Sarah Spencer, and my guest today is Mark Perkel. He is known as the connector in our community. He's also known as the unattorney. <laughs> We're going to explore his story, find out what motivates him, and find out how you would want to hire an attorney in your business. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you. I appreciate having you on. I'm looking forward to this interview. Yeah. So a while ago, I heard you tell a story about coincidence in your life, and I was hoping that you could share that with us. Well, that started off with a couple of people coming up to me who were doing a show called What's Alive Inside. And they came up to me and said, so, Mark, what's alive inside of you? And I kind of looked at them and said, I don't know. I'm an attorney. You know, I don't really know. But I said, maybe it's my voice. So they said, great. You're going to be in the show and you're going to have to do something with your voice. And I said, "Okay, sure. You know, it was months away. And I got about a week away and I'm going, oh, no. What the (laughs) hell am I going to do? So. I went looking for something. Years ago, I was a folk singer, but somehow my voice isn't quite what it used to be, nor is my guitar playing. So that wasn't going to work. So I thought, well, I'll read some inspirational piece. So I went through um, a whole box I had of old stuff, old writings, old photos. And I came across a, um, a CD. Actually, it was a cassette tape. I shouldn't say CD. <laughs> It was a cassette tape that I had done several years, at least 20, 25 years ago, uh, maybe 30, of of my late grandmother who told me the story of her um, getting out of Russia with her husband, how they fled Russia, and what had happened. She gave me a little bit of her background, and apparently my great-grandfather was a bridge builder. And because of that, he got certain privileges that were not often given to people of my background as Jewish. And if you were Jewish in Russia at that time, you you were treated as second-class citizens, Mm. if that high. And so um, my grandfather would build bridges, but one of them, he built a bridge that had a secret compartment in it so that if ever he had to hide his family, he had a place to do that. And ironically, years later, when my grandmother was pretty young, she was, I think, a teenager, um, there was something called a pogrom, which was when Russian soldiers would just come to towns and just hack people's heads off. It was really disgusting. And so they had heard that the soldiers were coming, and my grand, late great-grandfather hid his family in this bridge. And that was... Um, the next morning she woke up and she walked outside and she said to me that the road was strewn with heads. They looked like cabbages. Oh my God. And it was like, Oh my, yeah, exactly. And, and here we are in the United States and we, you know, we think everything is great and you hear this kind of stuff. So anyway, she and my grandfather who was in the army decided they had to get out of Russia. And so he didn't show up for his post and they, fled in the middle of the winter um, to try to get to the border and in, in where there was to be a safe house. Along the way, the cart turned over, and I forgot to mention that my grandmother was very pregnant at the mm. time, and, um, and ended up having a baby in the middle of this field 
in the middle of the winter. And actually, the baby didn't respond, so she thought the baby was dead. And um, so they got, a couple days later, they got to the border, and they they came to um, this halfway house kind of place where they hid people. And the lady who owned the house told my grandmother and grandfather to go downstairs where there was a bed and go to sleep. And, and my grandmother said, well, I have this dead baby. And she said, well, I'll deal with it. And so consequently, this woman stayed up all night, sat by the fire, and um, took warm tea and kept rubbing this baby's lips. And in the middle of the night, the baby started sucking on her finger. Oh, my gosh. So it was like the baby was alive. And um, the next morning, my grandmother and grandfather woke up to the sound of a crying baby. And the irony is, is that baby was my father. Wow. So it's something that it was like, okay. And then I realized part of the coincidence was that I'm a bridge builder. I mean, I build bridges between people. Um, I'm constantly trying to find a client who needs a service, and I have another client who does that service. Um, And even if they're not a client, if this person needs something and I can see that from my perspective, I want to try to help them and build that bridge. So my bridges are built between people, <coughs> and of course my late great grandfather built bridges between banks of a river. Yeah. So that's that's how that coincidence came about. That is a beautiful story. And when I first heard it, I said, "Wow, that's that's so special." And and that had to be sort of a, a impetus for you to really work in in law. And I know that there's always the lawyer jokes because you. You, oh, yeah. You regale me with those on a regular basis. Right. <laughs> but you are really the unattorney. You are so approachable. And I think... Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And what inspired you to pursue business law? Well, I was in private law practice for several years in Connecticut before I moved up here in, to Vermont in 91. And then... Um, I worked for a little bit with Vermont Housing Finance Agency, and I got admitted to the bar up here. And then, um, and then I became general counsel of a telecommunications company, which was most interesting considering the only thing I knew about a phone is you talked in the bottom and listened <laughs> at the top, okay? And I, ha- I was expected that within some months that I was going to be cross-examining witnesses in regulatory hearings. So I fortunately had a great mentor and my learning curve was about 90 degrees straight up. Uh, but I always like learning new things anyway. I mean, that's just part of my, my nature is I'm learning something new, I'm happy. And so I learned everything I could about telecommunications, and I was the general counsel, which put me on numerous committees, the marketing committee, the employment committee, the this committee, the that committee. And from there, I became general counsel of several other companies around the country, and um, either they were startups or they were emerging companies, et cetera. And I gained perspectives that I would never have gotten if I just stayed in a law firm. Because when you're a lawyer in business versus a lawyer in a law firm, you face all these different issues on a daily basis. And I think one of the biggest things is you have faces to go with the issue. So if somebody needs to be fired and you're doing some, some type of document uh, or a severance package, it isn't like I'm sitting in a law firm doing a severance package for somebody I don't even know. 
this is a person I may have even been working with. And so you gain some different perspectives because you realize that there's an awful lot of human beings out there. Mm-hmm. And people need to be treated as human beings and need to be treated well. There's no reason that, that my profession has to sometimes, as I have seen, treat people in such a rude and callous manner. We're speaking with Mark Perkell on Self Talk Radio Show about business law and how when do you hire a business attorney on Self Talk Radio Show? And yeah, that's my next question. When when do you know as a business owner to pull in a, an attorney for your business? How do you know when it's time? Um, too often people don't know when it's time, and that's actually one of the principles I started to do with my law practice, which probably sets me apart from an awful lot of attorneys, is. I do not charge my clients for short phone calls. I don't ever want a client of mine to be afraid to call me because they think they might have a problem, but they don't want to call me because they don't know how much it's going to cost. Right. And if it's if it is a problem, I'll tell them, "We got to get together and talk about this." 90% of the time, it's no biggie, and I can say to them in 3 to 5 minutes, "Look at here's what you need to do. Just take care of it." But um I think anybody who does a business where there's potential liability, it could be a food business, okay? Any kind of a product where somebody might be injured or hurt or um, let's say they're in telecommunications and they provide some kind of phone service to a business. Well, they should have in their contract something that says that if for some reason the system goes down, they're not liable to pay for all the lost business that that company can make up for that day that they didn't have service. And um, I think anyone who's got contracts, it's not terribly expensive to have, well, it depends upon who you hire, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not terribly expensive, and it's very prudent that if you have contracts or need contracts, have somebody do them. Because once the contract is done, assuming it's a fairly standardized contract, you don't need your lawyer again unless there's some specific thing. And I try to, when I work with my clients, I try to design up contracts so that I can walk away and they can do it. I mean, there's no reason they have to call me every time they need to do something. So what are some hallmarks that people should be looking for in hiring an attorney? What are the questions they should ask? And, <laughs> and you know, when's the meter running, so to speak? Well, that's one of the yeah. first questions is, when is the meter running? And... Um, and in, in what do you charge for? I once had a very short law, well, a law practice with a partner who I then decided we were not on the same plane because whenever he sent a bill to his clients, he had this huge amount for photocopies and postage, okay? <laughs> and this was, and, and it was like, what? Right. And, um, and I just, I, I think that there is a point when conversations go from being legal to friendly. And I, I'm cautious about that. I look to see, okay, we talked an hour, but how much of that time was spent going through the legal issue and 10 minutes was spent just kind of catching up how you're doing, what's going on. I don't think people should have to pay me for that. And it helps me because part of what I really love about my practice now and why I'm enjoying it so much is that I'm dealing with people that I like. Yeah. I really like a lot of my clients and I think a decent number of them like me. And it's just a, it's a nice 
repartee. And, and so if, if I know something about that person, and sometimes I'll get together and say, so, you know, how's your mom doing? You were talking about the last time that she was going into a nursing home and, and whatever. And it's like, those are the kinds of things that I think are really important because then a client isn't just another client, they're a person. Yeah. You know, but but to go back to your thing about um, a lot of times people need to decide they're starting a business, okay? So what are the things you need to do and, and what kind of an entity do you set up? Do you set up an LLC? Do you set up a corporation, a subchapter S? Should you be a sole proprietor? And um, those are questions that you should be able to ask an attorney and get some general understanding without necessarily having to pay. I, I make it a point that my first initial consultation, I don't charge. And that's because I'm feeling out, do I want to work with this client? And is this going to work? Is this yes. a viable business? Is this a viable business? Now, I'm, what makes it fly? What makes a business fly? Well, I have learned over the years to not judge a business because I've had some people come to me with cockamamie businesses that I thought, oh, man, this is so bad. But I've learned, especially with the dot-com businesses, that there are apps that I would go, I have no idea why somebody would need that app. But there's only 2 million people out there that think to the contrary, and they all buy the app for a dollar, and this person retires with $2 million in their pocket. <laughs> you know, So I do not judge that. And I think part of it is there's got to be, I once had somebody say, there's got to be a gleam in their eye. There's got to be a little something that says they really want to do this, but that they have some sound market research. Because I will have some people who think they've got the greatest idea since sliced bread, and they didn't really research to find out that we don't need any more white bread sliced out there. Okay? <laughs> now, if it's artisan bread, or it's whole grain bread, or something like that, well, yes. So... Do the market research. We're talking with Mark Perkel at Self Talk Radio Show. Mark, if someone wants to get hold of you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Probably through um, my website, or they can email me, Mark and markperkel.com. My guest is Mark Perkel on Self Talk Radio Show. He's a business attorney, giving us some tips and tricks on how to start a business successfully. What are the business entities and investors? How do you talk to them? How much money do you ask for? All of this and more coming back on the second half of Self Talk Radio Show, Mind Changing Radio. Can't sleep? Try this. Sleep Meditation offers soothing meditations to help you sleep like a baby and awaken what's inside. All you have to do is choose the meditation you want to listen to from our library at sleepmeditation.org. Click play and enjoy. If you want to keep the recording, purchase the downloads you want. Plus, Sleep Meditation offers specials on motivational pieces that help you start positive change, stop bad habits, or sleep like a baby. Sleepmeditation.org. Welcome back to Self Talk Radio Show. I'm Sarah Spencer. My guest is business attorney Mark Perkel. Mark, what are some smart steps for starting a business? So that if somebody's starting a business and they want to know what they should do, and especially, I have to emphasize this, anyone who's doing a partnership, they're going into business with somebody else, please do some type of a partnership arrangement. 
don't wait because um, there's so many times where I'll get calls of people who've been in business for years, the partner dies, and now this person is in business with his widow, and there was no buyout agreement or nothing, and or who's going to deal with what issues of the business. And the sooner that's dealt with, the less problems you're going to have later. Now, if you're doing a checklist of what you want to do for your business, are there some things that you could recommend that they do on their checklist for starting a business? Well, as I said, one of the things is just do an awful lot of market research. Mm-hmm. Secondly, if you're going to be coming out with a product, where are you going to get the product? Well, who's going to source it? And then you have to look at, are you going to make any money? There's an old expression that if you lose money per unit, you don't make it up in volume. Right. Okay. You can sell thousands of them, but if you're losing every time you sell one, <laughs> this is not a good formula for success. Um, however, um, so so you need to do some sourcing there. It's it's good to put a business plan together, but I may be one of those people that isn't as, as antsy about business plans because so many times people are just pulling numbers out of their head anyway. Right. And they're just, it's wishful thinking. But the one thing is, is for them to see that I'm going to need to sell this many of this product before I'm going to make any money. And can you afford to do that? So maybe what a what a business plan is, is more or less benchmarks of when I reach this volume of sales, then I can do this in my business rather than it being wishful thinking. Yes. If, if it's treated as benchmarks, mm-hmm. does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Um, the, the biggest issue in, in with regards to that business plan side is there are an awful lot of people out there looking for money. They're going to venture capital firms. They're going to friends and family. They're going to angel investors who all want to see a business plan. But part of the reason they want to see a business plan is not always just because of the numbers. They want to see that a person thought through on this. Who are your competitors? You know, who's offering similar products? How do your how does your product differ, differentiate itself from someone else's product? Why would somebody buy your product instead of their product? And what's in it for me as an investor? <laughs> yeah. Is there going to be any rate of return? And and how long? I'm going to be waiting for 20 years or is this something and then sometimes they want to see what's the person's exit strategy. Mm. There are a lot of times where someone will go into a business with the idea that in three to five years they're going to sell the business. Now, is that something that's wise for a business startup to reveal? Is that they're planning on doing an exit strategy in three to five years? Or is that seen um, as someone doesn't have confidence in the business? I think it depends. I mean, quite frankly, I think it's going to depend upon the venture capital firm. There's some venture capital firms that absolutely want to be able to liquidate their money that they invested within three to five years. And so they want a nice return on their investment. And if the business grows to the level that they're hoping and it goes from a $100,000 business to a $10 million business, they want to collect their money. They don't want to wait 20 years. So at least it's something to think about. Um, there are a lot of ways to get your investors out of the business at the appropriate time. doesn't mean you have to sell it. You can do a management buyout. You can do a refinance. The business is doing really well. 
you just go to a bank and borrow the money to buy your partners out. Mm-hmm. So, um, or you may take in new partners. So I think it doesn't hurt to have some ideas, but just because you say you'd like to sell the business in five years doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. Is it more important to tell an investor, because I heard rule of thumb for an investor was they want to make 10 times the amount of their initial investment. If Is that true or is that uh, I've seen it all over the lot. I mean, yes, I've dealt with some vulture capitalists who were very much looking for 10 to 20% or greater. And um, I don't think there are businesses today that are as that apt to come in with those kinds of numbers anyway. Um, this is not the, the dot-com time when um, things were just exploding. Um, and to get 25 or $50 million out of a venture capital firm was no biggie. And um, But now... You're lucky if you can get half a million or a million dollars out right. of some of these. So, um, and where you're located. So, um, I guess I would say that just it's just going to depend. It depends upon who you're talking to. And there's shows that are out there. Um, the Shark Tank is mm-hmm. the big one that everyone has been watching, and they say I'll give you ten percent of my company for X number of dollars. How do you make that determination of the valuation of your company and asking an investor? you know, I'll, I'll give you 10, 20%. How do you make that determination? That's a real toughie. And that's where you want to get an accountant involved because you want to make sure that you have sound numbers. And there's several ways of valuing a business. If you went out and hired somebody to value your business, especially where one partner's buying the other one out, you could spend 10, 15, $25,000 in fees. There are some people out there who can do kind of a off the cuff, this is what we think your business is worth. And, um, and, and there are also firms, venture firms, that will just look and say, this is what we believe your, your firm is worth, your, your business. So um, I can't give you, it's really all over the lot, it's individual case basis. Some of it depends upon the product that you're offering. Mm-hmm. because there are different multiples, i.e. three times, five times, ten times earnings that go to different industries. So if you're doing um, some kind of software program, that may have a different multiple than if you're doing a construction company and where the margins may be much lower. There's some businesses where the margins are 3 5 8 10%. Others where they're 30, 40, or 50%. Now, I'm sorry. Back the truck up. What do you mean by margins? I mean margin in terms of what it costs you to produce that product and what you sell it for. So that difference is margin. And taking into account all of the various expenses, including sales, commissions, all of that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, you look at, for example, um, grocery stores. They have a very low margin but they have big volume. So if you're only making three or 5%, but you're doing millions of dollars in business, then that does just fine. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if you don't do a big volume, then it'd be better if you had a higher margin. So um, what about the entrepreneur that makes a certain gizmo and they're doing it by hand in, in their shop 
and selling something is that uh, because you you if you're competing against I'm thinking jewelry I'm thinking mm-hmm. if there's someone who who makes their own handcrafted jewelry that's going to jack the price up on the piece and it's all about supply and demand and the creativity and the uniqueness but have you ever had a client that has something similar to that that's come to you and you're not sure if they're going to make the nut so to speak yeah I've had several people like that and mm-hmm. sometimes that transition from garage to a business location doesn't work because, and a lot of times that goes back to the margin and the amount of time and effort because sometimes clients will figure, well, it don't, materials that only cost me a dollar to put this jewelry together, well, that's the material. So how many hours did you have to put in to do that? Oh, just 10 hours. Mm-hmm. And they don't value their own time. Right. And um, and so sometimes when I'm talking to someone, I say, okay, give me the components of this product. What is it you need to do to get it out the door? And what are all the time factors and the business factors necessary? And then you, you look and you say, well, you know what? You may be better off just doing this small and doing this part-time because if you try to do it full-time, you're in a really dangerous area and you could end up losing your shirt. When does someone know when they can go full-time with their business? Probably when it's bringing them enough money so that they can cover their costs or they have other resources that they can use because I've seen too many people who've started businesses who did not pay themselves and had no other sources of money. And after a while, they're in a total panic because they don't know how they're going to pay their rent or their water bill or their electricity bill. And then the whole thing just goes sour. Mm-hmm. And um, they need to see, they'll quit a job beforehand because they think this is going to be terrific. No, wait. Mm-hmm. My late father once said, make haste slowly. Expression drove me crazy. When when I was growing up, I'd say, Dad, you know, they go, well, make haste slowly. And it's like, <laughs> oh, no. Um, but ironically, I'm now saying that to my clients. I'm saying make haste slowly, look at all the aspects, and, and talk to people. There are a lot of good services out there, um, different state agencies that will help people with businesses. Which ones would you recommend? Well, I work closely with the SBA. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a wonderful program they have called um, Boots to Business, which I do um, workshops for on business entities, trademarks, and copyrights. And it's for veterans who want to start a, their own business. They've That's come back. Awesome. They want to get into business. And this is a whole series of lectures. There are people there who are accountants, people who are really good salespeople, and marketing people who can advise people like this. And it gives them a leg up. Mm-hmm. And um, and I know there are other um, organizations like that. And so um, SCORE, the um, I've, I've done some lectures for them, and they have some great people there 
who are retired executives who just want to help people who want to start a business. And there's also PTAC out there, too, yes. which is out of Montpelier uh, Procurement. I don't know what the acronym is, but I'll put it on the website. Um, and they're awesome. They have these meetups between government agencies looking for small businesses to partner with. Mm-hmm. And um, Joanne Spaulding in Montpelier is an excellent resource. And I'll put all the contact information sure. on the webpage there. I think that... Um, with just a little bit of research, you can find um, some of these things. And certainly, I'm always looking and listening and to see, okay, uh, what organization is helping people or doing grants so that you don't have to borrow money. And there are situations like that. Mm-hmm. And it's just you have to do a little scratching around and looking under a few rocks. And you'll find it. Mm-hmm. My guest has been Mark Perkel. He is the unattorney, the connector, and you can find him at markperkel.com. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Mark. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I always enjoy this. <laughs> I'm Sarah Spencer with Self Talk Radio Show. This program has been a production of Hall Communications, Burlington, Plattsburgh.